0: All right, guys, we've got a special guest for you today. His name is Tim Ballard. So Tim spent more than a decade working as a special agent for the Department of Homeland Security, where he was assigned to the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force and deployed as an undercover operative for the U.S. child sex tourism jump team. He also worked in that role. And since uh, in every type of case in the he's worked in basically every way you could uh, in terms of dismantling child sex trafficking rings. Right. That's kind of the the easiest way to describe it. So he's worked in the United States. He's in multiple foreign countries to infiltrate these child sex trafficking organizations. And he successfully dismantled dozens of these organizations and rescued children from slavery and exploitation. And while working for the government, uh, Ballard saw that there was a whole lot more needed in the fight against child sex trafficking, uh, and he thought he could do more. And so back in 2013, he and a team of former government operatives, they left the really the security of their, their government jobs so that they could start Operation Underground Railroad. And that is a team that Tim created that can work in any jurisdiction around the globe and in conjunction with law enforcement to rescue children directly and get them out of child sex trafficking. And so that that team exists even still today and they're doing things all over the globe. His story is depicted in a new movie that is in theaters today. As of right now, guys, you can go and watch the film today. It's called Sound of Freedom. He is actually played by Jim Caviezel, the same guy that played uh, the lead in Count of Monte Cristo and The Passion of the Christ and some other films like that as well. But this is a film which basically depicts the the latter end of his time working for the United States government and then how he kind of went out on his own and some of the actual, uh, I guess, operations that his team did to direct. Directly Save these little kids because there's always that dissonance between catching the pedophile but also saving the children because you can catch the pedophile so much easily but getting the children out of this degradation out of this horrible darkness where they're being raped multiple times a day and being sold to people all over the globe that's something that's completely different that's what this film touches on guys this is a rougher episode today and that film is incredibly rough but it's one of those things it's like that movie unplanned from back in the day. There are some things in that movie that's depicting abortion that's really, really rough. And so you might be tempted to, you know, cover your eyes, plug your ears and, and not really pay attention to it. What I would suggest is that you lean into something like this. Because he made this point during the interview where it's like, look, there, the, the lead story on every newspaper across the globe should be millions of children raped today, repeatedly, incessantly. But it's not. You know, did Donald Trump say something now? Or, oh, look at this celebrity who's changing their pronouns. Like, it's all this nonsense. But this film kind of gets at the heart of what it is that we are up against as a people and as Christians. And again, as men that I'm trying to equip to be able to push back darkness, you can't push back against darkness if you don't know the darkness even exists. And so we talk about that a lot in this uh, particular podcast. This is not an explicit podcast, so you can certainly listen to it with your children, but it is about a rough subject matter. But uh, I think it's, it's well worth your time and attention. So guys, without further ado, let's get into it. Tim Ballard, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast.
1: Thank you, sir. Good to be here.
0: Hey, I uh, got a lot of ground that I want to cover with you today, but we should probably do a little bit of groundwork in terms of like setting up who exactly you are and how you got into your line of work. So you were a special agent for the Department of Homeland Security, and you did that for over a decade but during that time, you were also assigned to the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. And so I know we're, we're covering a lot of ground there because, you know, why would you even want to be a cop? Why would you go the Fed route? You know, how would you end up there? But I guess give us an idea about all of that. But specifically, most people in, you know, modern day don't know anything about the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. We didn't even know that thing existed. So what is that? How would you get involved? Take that wherever you want to go to start.
1: Yeah. So I I, uh, actually began my career at the CIA and I wanted to combat terrorism and, um, you know, other kind of drug crimes and so forth. Six months into my uh, position after I left CIA in the wake of 9-11, I jumped over to the Homeland Security investigations and put me on the border. And six months into that new position, I was asked to work, help start a, a child crimes unit which was not something I was interested in. I didn't really want to do it. And um, it was scary to me. I didn't know, no one knew what it was, you know, how, how bad is it? Uh, what's going on? Uh, we began working on the end users. Uh, there some software had been created that allowed US agents to identify people who were downloading child rape videos. And so that's where we started. And It was very successful, but the haunting part of it was you would always, you know, seize these computers sometimes with hundreds of thousands or even over a million uh, pieces of of child exploitation material. Um, And you'd wonder where those kids are. You know, you'd see these videos, you're crying as you're writing the reports, like, oh my gosh, you know, people, when they think of child sex crimes or child pornography, like we used to call it too often, they think it's 15 year olds and 16 year olds because technically that would fit. That's not what the case, we're talking seven year olds, five year olds, two year olds, and the most grotesque things happening to them, like things your your brain couldn't even comprehend, you, you couldn't dream up. You would think physically it would be impossible, in fact, the things I'm watching here and, and writing about. And you can only do that so long before you either just you know collapse or run away or go find those kids. How do you find the kids? Because most of them seem to be, in that time at least, were from, from foreign. Um, and so, the internet crimes against children task force was kind of the hub using the technology to find the end users. Um, and then everything changed for me in 2006. In 2006, the laws changed in the United States with the passage of the Adam Walsh child protect act. And what that did was it allowed for the first time, opened up legally allowed, uh, U S agents to go overseas. And if we cut Americans, uh, sexually uh, assaulting children overseas, we could hold them accountable as if they had committed that crime on U.S. soil. And so uh, thus began my undercover career. And they, I, I went undercover and, and uh, I started working in, in several countries finding the kids. But the, the, the government was, you know, unintentionally kind of torturing me because, you know, they give me, you know, bureaucracies. It's how they are. You get a week, Tim, you have a week and a half Go to this country, find, well, we'd always find the kids, but I, I had to line it so I'd, I, I didn't have a crystal ball like to show up exactly when the Americans showed up. And so I'm, I'm being asked over and over, come home, come home, come home. And then in two, by, by 2012, I was working a couple of cases, one in Haiti and one in Colombia, where when they said, come home, I said, I'm done. I, I can't, like, I got too deep. It, it, was, it was too big. There was over hundred kids we thought we could rescue. And, and, and that was it. And that's the basis. That's where the movie picks up uh, where I'm, I'm ha- having to make that decision with my wife. And then what happened in the aftermath of that decision.
0: Well, Tim, I appreciate you giving us that detail. I certainly want to get into the details from the film. Um, I, I tried to determine whether I wanted to ask this, but I want to go back to something that you said, because I don't want it to be lost on the audience here. And it's that you had to actually watch the same materials that were being traded online uh, as fodder between pedophiles. And I, I I know you probably don't get asked this a lot because it's a hard question to ask, much less for you to answer. But you're watching the most degrading, sinful, evil, dark thing that you could possibly watch, you know, here on this planet. How do you process that? Because yes, it was part of your job, but I've talked to people that work at like uh television networks that, you know, have porn channels. And so they have to like watch all these different things to make sure there's edits and they're just eight to 10 hours a day. They have pornographic images in their head and it's like it's hard for them just to operate. And this is beyond that because these aren't two adults that are being paid. These are these are children that are being raped. Um, take take me back to just how you process that, because I'm sure even to this day, it's not something that you can just compartmentalize in your brain. No.
1: Oh, it is so hard. I, the very first case I worked, I remember the one of the very first videos I had to look at. And then you know, you got you you have to write it in detail. You know, that you have to like describe it for the for the, you know, for for the prosecution. And the very first video I saw was three there's three little little boys. Um probably about 7, 5 and 3. And they were all three of them completely naked with an an old naked man, and they was raping all of them. And I, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what we were calling child porn. You're supposed to call it child exploitation material, child rape videos. I didn't know what that was, I guess. You know, it was like the first case, like here it is, like, wait, what? And I remember I fell on my knees and I dry heaved. I thought I was going to throw up, but it, you know, I dry heaved into the into the trash can under my desk. And then I just started sobbing and I jumped in my car and I, I drove to my kids' school. I had four or five kids at the time about that same age that looked like that. My, I had uh, two boys that looked just like those kids, blonde hair, blue eyes, and then a little girl. And they were probably the same ages. And um, I rushed to the school to pick up my two boys. They were probably like in one in kindergarten maybe and the other one's maybe first or second grade. I remember running in there crying. I, I said I got they got a dentist appointment. I just had to get him and I just took him out, took him home. My wife was like, What on earth is going on? You know, um, why are you here? I'm just sobbing. I'm just sobbing. And and I said, You won't believe what's happening. You won't believe what's happening in this world and no one knows it. Because it wasn't like that was a one-off video. I mean, that was there's millions, millions of videos, just like the one I described, being transferred internationally and even mostly domestically. Um, I say mostly domestically because the United States is the number one demand. We're the number one consumer for child rape videos in the world. So that was the beginning of it. And then after that, it's like, it's therapy. It's it's prayer. It's how do you compartmentalize? How do you watch this stuff and not superimpose your own children's faces on those videos? Because that's what you naturally are going to do. And that's when those you know, a battle within began. I had to decide, am I going to stay doing this or run away?
0: Well, so as, as you just alluded to, you got to a point where it looked like your runway with the U.S. government doing this work was at an end. And so you decided to go out on your own. You started a private foundation called Operation Underground Railroad. And so this organization is focused on the work of rescuing children all over the world from child sex trafficking. I guess what led to this decision? You talked about a little bit already, but what led to that final decision like, no, we're going to burn the ships and we're going to do this? Because some might say, well, yeah, you probably had some restrictions working for the feds, but maybe you had a lot more resources or or perhaps from the outside looking in, that's not exactly how it would be. So take us through that decision-making process.
1: Well, it is true to say, you know, if you, you quit, you have freedom from restraints and bureaucracy, but you have no money. And that is, that is an enormous piece. These are expensive, very expensive operations. So um, it was definitely most people told me, you're freaking, you're crazy. You're crazy to leave this. Um, but what happened to me is I was working two different cases. I mentioned earlier, but um, one was in Colombia. And the film, is Sound of Freedom, is based on the Colombia one. But it's, something else was happening simultaneous in Haiti. In Haiti, we learned about a little boy. He was a U.S. citizen named Guardi Marty who had been, um, the family had moved back to Haiti, the relation, um, and he was kidnapped at two years old, kidnapped, traffic disappeared. And I learned about this case. I thought I could make it a U.S. case because the kid's a U.S. citizen. I met the family, became friends with the father and I promised him, I promised him we will find, we'll never stop until we find him, we'll never stop. Simultaneous to that, I'm in Colombia. This is all about two, 2011, 2012, I'm in Colombia. Um, doing consulting with the federal police there on how to infiltrate child trafficking rings. And we decided to do a real case or so committed to a real case, identified locations, identified targets. And we believed we could rescue hundred kids. So those were some, those were these, two, my, my whole life was consumed by these two cases. And about the same time in 2013, I was told cancel both. You're done. You don't have jurisdiction. We don't have budget. We don't have this. We don't have that. And, um, and it was so frustrating. I remember coming home at one point after I was told the, that I couldn't stay and, you know, there was like a big shipment of, of like combat boots that all the agents were given that nobody needed. And I like, counted up how much money that would be. And it's just like, no one can, you know, it's, it's, but it's, it's, it's no, I, I'm not blaming any one person at the, it's the system, right? It's just like, it's, it's a yeah. big, big, slow bulky kind of system. And it's just like, kids deserve better than this. There, There's no reason why. Um, and so it was both of those cases that made us, my wife and I do do what would be irrational. It's really irrational, but it's like, I remember my wife had a conversation with me. This was in December of 2013 while this was all happening. And she said, do you think if you were, were to go on both those cases that you would save kids? I said, I, I know I would, I know we would. She said, well, this is this shouldn't be a hard decision then. You just got to quit your job to do it. And um, I, I was very cowardice. You know, I was like, there's no way we got six kids. At that point, six kids. How do I, I, how do I feed them? Um, I, I, I was able to make a connection with, with Glenn Beck. And Glenn Beck was, was able to raise the money for these operations. But, you know, that was only going to last maybe eight months before that would be done. And... I'll be honest, the second week of December, 2013, I was, I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. And it was my wife who, we had had enough experiences, spiritual experiences, that we would call a calling even, right, that we had to go do this. And, um, and I'm tr- I'm truly freaking out. Like I'm having anxiety like you can't believe. Uh, like, I, what, first of all, I'm going, I don't have to cover the you know, government. I'm gonna have to go convince the police to keep working with me, even though I've quit. I don't have a badge anymore. Like there's so many variables. And she grabs me like this and she says, listen to me. She said, I will not let you jeopardize my salvation by not doing this. And that ended the argument, that ended the debate. And we quit. I quit two days later and and off we went to Colombia and Haiti. And in both cases, we insane. In Haiti, we rescued 28 kids on that op, two of which I ended up adopting. So we, they, they're my kids now. Um, that's another story to be told. And then in Colombia, we ended up rescuing over 120 kids in a maybe the biggest operation I've ever heard of.
0: Well, there's there's so much detail there, Tim, and we'll, we'll get into some more of that when we talk about the film. But I guess just in general, I think people generally know that there is a problem with child sex trafficking across the globe. But how how prevalent is it exactly? Because it seems like it would be impossible to get real accurate numbers, but just try to give the listeners an idea like how prevalent is this not only in the U S but worldwide? What kind of money are we talking about? What types of conditions go?
1: So those, uh, those numbers are pretty well established by, you know, U S state department, department of labor, UN so forth. So they're pretty as close as possible, but it's, it's believed that, There are, uh, well, to break it down, about there are 27 million people enslaved today, men, women, and children. It's labor, organ harvesting, and sex trafficking. Six million of those are believed to be children. Um, And then of of those six million, two million are forced directly into the commercial sex. The others are labor and organ harvesting. Um, So what does that produce? All All those combined produce or the money made off the backs of these slaves. And by the way, there's more people enslaved today than ever before in the history of the world. We've never seen so much slavery. Um, And it's about $150 billion a year. $150 billion is made every year off the backs of of that entire population of slaves. And it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise for sure. The United States, we are the the number one consumer of child rape videos. We're also in the top three for destination countries. Kids are being funneled right through, trafficked right through our southern border because you can just walk them across. I mean, we're facilitating it not only by a horrible policy, but just by ignorance amongst the populace that we don't understand what's going on. It's time for this to not be hidden anymore. It needs to come out in the open.
0: So I think a lot of people would, uh, it's just crazy to even think about that. It's hard to wrap your, your mind around that type of number, but like compare that to what you get from a profit from a huge company like Amazon or Apple, that, that number always outdoes these huge, huge companies. And so it's, it's just hard for us to think about. And you're right. As a father, you do superimpose those images or even those, those nightmares of your kids faces on those kids where this is happening to them. But without giving away any trade craft, um, give us an idea of how you or any f- agency is able to infiltrate these child sex trafficking conglomerates and I guess discuss that that dissonance between focusing on catching the pedophiles catching the rapists and saving the children because that even came up early in the film to where it's like hey we caught another pedophile but it's like hey where are the kids and so like talk to me a little bit about that
1: yeah I mean it's it's a lot easier to get the bad guys um Right. And that's because of, honestly, really amazing technology that law enforcement has utilized over the last 20 years that, that is able to go in and, 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 and identify, identify in, in the public space online, not, it's not hacking. Um, and you can identify these markets and it's, it's astonishing. I think in, in this, the last like 10 years, we've seen an increase of by 5,000% of these kind of images of children being raped. It's, and that's just growing and growing and growing as, as sex addiction grows and grows and they start people who are wanting, wanting children, finding the kids is a whole different game It's a whole different um, <coughs> approach. And that's, that's where my focus began to get into, you know, post 2006, but I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't grasp it. I, the tools weren't available, the jurisdictional limitations, because once you get involved with the kids, you know, it's all transnational human trafficking knows no borders and boundaries. I mean, we, in the last just three years alone, we've had 85,000 unaccompanied minors, thousands of them under five years old, unaccompanied, show up at our southern border and released to to the, whatever sponsor shows up. I mean, th- this just – it's transnational. So when you start putting borders and boundaries and jurisdictional limitations on it, you can't combat it. And that's what drove me out of the government eventually because it's like, well, Tim, you can't work this case because it's on the wrong side of the border. Like, I don't give a hell – why would we care – what what side of the board? Once you see it, but if if people don't see it, it's easy for someone to sit back and just say no. That, no, you you can't. You've got to see it. That's why this movie is so important because it, it, it you see it, you feel it. You you feel what you would feel if this was a real kid you're looking at. And so once you get into that into that, I'll call it a beautiful trap because you want, you actually don't want to be there, but you need to be there. Then you start you start getting into irrational service. I'll call it. Where it's like, look, I got to meet my maker someday, and I know too much, and and I can't, I can't not like my, my like my wife said, my salvation may be in jeopardy here. Like I cannot sit back and do nothing, and um, you know it's like Edmund Burke said, the the, the um, evil triumphs when men and women do nothing. That's it.
0: I think you're right. And that's, that's a great time to actually segue into the movie. So we'll, we'll leave your personal story there because some of the details do come in the movie. And so the movie is called the sound of freedom guys. If you're listening to this right now on time, this is in theaters right now. So this is a movie that kind of details your story of how you made this transition from the federal government to doing these really on the ground operations to try and save children that are being, uh, ritually, uh, enslaved and raped, and so there's a backstory to this movie. And so I can't think of another movie like this. It's made by Angel Studios, so the same studio that is doing The Chosen. But t- take me through the backstory. Like, whose idea was it to have this film made? Uh, you know, how did Jim Caviezel uh, become part of the project because he plays you in the film? Kind of give us all that information.
1: Sure. So after that operation went down, the big hit that you'll see in the film on the island. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to spoil or alert anything.
0: Right. There there are some spoilers here, guys, that you have to see the film to get. So we're not going to be getting into all those details, but go ahead.
1: But it made it made uh, the national news, actually international news. It, it made its way to Scott Pelley at CBS News. And it was such a, it's kind of an astonishing story. It kind of just came and went. But like, for those who are watching, it's like, wait, what happened? A bunch of kids got rescued on some little island that, 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 you know, and then, you know, later on you get into, you learn about Epstein Island and you realize yeah, there's, there's lots of islands out there, right? Um, literal and figuratively speaking. And, and it kind of, um, it got the attention of several um, production companies. And we were all of a sudden after that story ran, we got hit up by several. Um, we, we turned down even the idea of working with most of them because it's a hard thing because Hollywood, right? I, I have a job because of Hollywood and that's not a good thing, right? I mean, the demand exists, sex addiction that leads to everything else. You know, it can be argued that that's a, big, that's a big part of the problem. And so here they are coming, on to tell my story. So it was, no, no, we're not comfortable. Finally, we met um, Eduardo Verastagui and Alejandro Monteverde, and they had just finished a, a movie called Little Boy. And, when, and they showed us the movie and then invited us to, to sign up to, to, to tell our story. And my wife and I were so overcome by the beauty of this film, Little Boy, that we said yes. Um, so they, they, they race up to my home. They take me up to the mountains of Park City and tie me to a, a an, an audio device, a recording device. And I sit there for two days and just cry my eyes out and just tell everything. Um, they send me home. I come back two days later and they have this, like, I don't know, a 1,000 Post-its on a wall with a story arc and this is what we're going to do. And then they left, you know, and, and I, I did some research and it said, like, 4% of movies go from at concept go to big screen. So I'm thinking it's never going to happen and then a year and a half, maybe 2 years later they show up, "Hey, we're going to film this summer." Um, and you don't get to choose, uh, but you can request. Like who would you want to play you? And immediately I just said Jim Caviezel and they, and they were taken aback because they said, "No, we you know, Tim's Jim's tall dark and handsome and you're you're you're, you're stocky and" And, and and not tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and I and they I, I said, well, what does that matter? And and, and they said, well, at the, at the end of the movie, there's this kind of cool transition where they actually, if you forgot you were watching a real story, right at the end, they show the real footage from the scenes you saw depicted earlier, and and they said that's an important part that he has to someone has to look kind of like you, and I said, look, one, I don't trust hollywood i don't even know if i trust you guys yet i'm just i'm still watching but i do know this that jim caviezel loves jesus and i love jesus and so that's a really good starting point point. and he's a badass actor one of my favorite movies is the count of monte cristo and that was it and they said okay they could tell I was pretty much i was pretty passionate about it and they they hit up jim and he took the role and they, they didn't do a horrible job of making him look look like look like me right it's, it's it's kind of a thing i
0: was surprised. just you got to bleach the tips a little bit and so it, it kind of worked out all right and i remember that scene at the very end and i was like yeah that that actually the resemblance does come in come in there but at the very end of the film after the credits roll uh jim caviezel's you know does his little spiel about hey you know just to support this movie buy tickets for other people and all that and i'm all for it he said this movie was actually made five years ago and he kind of alluded to the fact that y'all had a lot of problems kind of getting it released and I mean yeah, we've heard of studios making movies and then shelving them for a little bit and releasing them when it makes the most sense. But five years, like mm. half a decade, like what in the world happened, Tim? Huh.
1: It was it's it's spiritual warfare, I'll tell you that. Like there's there's a lot of forces that do not want this movie out because nothing makes sense. I remember the first day they shot, I went to the set just like two or three times, but I was there the I I I wanna be there the day one and I remember I was sitting with Jim Cavisel in a, in a hotel patio in Bogota, Colombia. And the producer walks in and says, $8 million just fell through. Like what? We can't film this tomorrow. I'm like, what you, how, what do you mean? You, you can't start filming tomorrow. Everything's set up and ready. And, um, and he says, "I and this is Eduardo Verastegui. This is a man. He had, he had, this, he was tested right here. He says, I only have a million dollars and the production company, if I give it to him, they'll start. but, that means I got to raise another $12 million or something in the next two months, or, or I'm going to be sued and I can be liable for this million. And he said, he prayed. He said, God said, go for it. He was testing him. He did it. He dropped the money. The, the, the movie began and he sure enough in, in the 11th hour, all the money was raised. Right. Um, the, the movie gets completed. It's supposed to come out in 2020. It's owned by Fox. Fox actually was the production company then Disney bought Fox and Disney was not gonna put it anywhere. Disney was gonna show it. And and so Eduardo had to work his magic and pray to God that somehow he could wrest control of it out of the hands of Disney. Um, He was able to do that. Then it went through several other um, hands, people who had the rights to, and nothing felt right, nothing took off. Um, And then the coolest story, you mentioned The Chosen. I, last year I was on the set of The Chosen. I got invited uh, randomly to go tour the set um, in Goshen, Utah, which is a replica of Jerusalem. It's beautiful. And I'm on the set, and it was the only day during that f- four-week or five-week period they were filming there that the, the CEO of Angel Studios visited the set. The only day happened to be the wow. day I was there. And uh, his name's Neil, Neil Harmon. And I recognized him because we had worked on something or tried to, like, years earlier. And I said, Neil, what's up? I haven't seen you for years. I told him, I said, hey, they have this movie, and and, um, you know, looking back, it's this, such a beautiful moment that it happened here. Um, by the time the, 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 the rights deal ended and Angel looked at it, they had five days to make a deal if we wanted to get this, the, 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 the trailer up for their next movie, which was called His Only Son, um, which is a phenomenal film. Um, and somehow the, the team in five days, if you can believe it, from beginning to end negotiation, they'd signed the deal. Angel took it. And, and now it's out and it's killing it. It is it's, it's out selling three to one uh, Indiana Jones. We're selling out theaters right now. And July 4th is is the big day. So the whole thing was a miracle. Yes, lots of opposition. But in the end, you know, heaven won out.
0: I think that's great that you. It's almost better that you had that resistance because just like anything in life, you know, when there's a little bit of a resistance, whatever's on the other side of that is going to be well earned and well worth the sacrifice. Um, I've seen this film. I really appreciate your team sending me a screener for this so that I could watch it. Um, this is what I'll say about the film. It's very rough, and I, I don't mean rough like editing. I mean like the subject matter. It's so heavy and so rough from the very beginning like really really rough very disturbing not not explicitly just so nobody misunderstands me certainly not as explicit as a film like this could have been but very punchy i found myself tim fighting back you know albeit unsuccessfully angry tears for much of the film because Even from the very beginning, no spoilers, I have a three-year-old son and a one-year-old son, and so I was seeing me as the father in that opening scene, and I was seeing my boys as the children in that opening scene. Take us through the creative decision making to make it so raw because for me, I think films and people that talk about this, they sanitize the subject matter way too much and so people can kind of easily move on past it. They just kind of go, oh, shucks, isn't that unfortunate? And then they go grab their latte and their lunch. But this this film is sticky. It's been stuck in my brain and it's like I can't get it out and I think that's part of the point, right?
1: Absolutely it is. It has that effect. I mean, I can't. I don't even watch it. If I go to like a screening, I stay outside until they tell me to come in. I can't. I sweat. I cry. Well, you know, they filmed so many um, scenes in the very places where the things where things happen. So for me, it was very, very, you know, it, 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 it triggered my PTSD quite a bit. Um, that's on a personal level, though. But for, for the general audience, I'll say this. Um, these guys are geniuses. Alejandro Monteverde, the director and writer, it, he's, it, he's a genius because he has to tell the story. And I told him, I said, I will not make this movie if you create any pedophile material. In other words, if you create any material that would turn on a pedophile, you can't show it. You can't show it anything. Yep. Isn't it crazy, Kyle? You saw they they didn't. You never actually saw a scene where a child's being abused. And yet it punches you in the stomach because it's yep. how the creative they were. I, I won't get into what the, the particulars, how you'll see it when people, when they watch it. But- and, and they, he also used light. He, he wanted to make every scene. This was by design in the beginning. Every scene's like a portrait using lights and darks. And you can see it. every scene, even in the trailers, watch the trailer. It's all intentional to kind of almost distract you into something, a beautiful scene. Even if you're even if the scene is about something ugly, it was his way to make it digestible. So you don't we want people to be at the edge of their seats, but we don't want them to go so far to the edge that they run out of the theater. So he he kind of plays with you, he keeps you there. And it's also, it's a a thriller. I mean, it's a story that once you get in, you don't wanna, you can't get off that, that, you can't get off, you wanna see what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen. So they're they're just, they care about the cause, that's why they did this. How do we get people to come and stay and feel, but not feel to the point where they wanna run away, but instead they wanna engage at the end, engage and join the fight.
0: I, You know, it's funny to hear you say that because that's obviously what he did. If that was the bullseye he was shooting for, then he nailed it because like – I'm one of those lean forward, like let's go type people. And, and we all see ourselves in Hollywood thrillers, like we all put ourselves in the film somehow. It definitely strikes that chord. Well, let's, let's actually talk about that a little bit because right from the beginning, it says based on a true story. And if you've watched any films for any length of time, that word based means it could be very loosely based on the truth or it could be really, really, really close to the truth and everything in between. How much of the storyline of the movie, again, all of you in the audience who need to go see this film, but as they walk into the theater, how much of the storyline is legit? How it went down with you, and then how much of it is like Hollywood? They had to do this to where it, you know looked cool and sounded cool.
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I will say first, that yeah, Caviezel definitely makes me look way more uh, badass than, than than I am, and, and
0: way more tall, dark, and handsome. Way too. more tall, dark,
1: and handsome as well. But but the um, every I'll say I'll tell you this: every bad guy is real. Every kid is real. I can point you to them. I can show you them. Um, and they, they had to cut the movie down, but it, the, there was like about a five minute segment at the end that says, where are they now? Who are they? You know, and you see that, And I love that. I wish they didn't take it out. But it shows every bad guy, every good guy, every kid is accounted for. You know, there were exactly 54 rescued on that island there. You know, every bad guy is a real bad guy. Now, in order to in order to protect identities, um, they did merge two stories together Um Uh, So you can find those two, the two main children that you see the most in the film. I mean, these are real, these are real people and they're still minors today. Like they're, they're, you know, they're teenagers, but um, so we had to be very careful to tell just enough of their story. And then, and then they brought in another true story and merged and merged them. So you couldn't follow them all the way, but, but I would give it, I'd say like 85% of it is, is extremely accurate.
0: Okay. Well, I've got to echo. I really wish at the end of the film, there would have been a, where are they now? Because that would have substantiated it a little bit more because obviously you're wondering, is that really the little girl? Is that really the little boy? Not, not in the film. Obviously those are actors and actresses, but it's in theaters right now. As you said, this is kind of the big release day as of today. If you're listening to this on time. I guess before we move forward, what is the best way for people to support this project outside of just seeing it themselves? Is there something riding on the success of this film? Like, Is there a project two or three after this that the you know studios are just trying to wait and see like, hey, let's see how this does in theaters before these other projects come out? Tell us about all that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The best thing people can do is just keep filling theaters up. Um, At the end of the movie, there's in the theaters, there'll be an opportunity, a QR code will come up. People can even put their phones up now and buy tickets for others, right? It's a pay it forward program because we want 2 million people that week, but we want 100 million people to watch it by the end. Um, And yes, to answer your question, we have multiple documentaries because people are gonna ask how real is this? Well, how about watch some real documentaries about our operations? One of the documentaries was actually filmed back in 2014 and it is in fact the story you see, Center Freedom. There's a documentary about what happened on that island raid. Um, the, the the film shows 54 rescued. It was actually 100 and over 120 that were rescued. It's, it was actually underreported in the movie, uh, which doesn't usually happen. Right. Um, and then also, Center Freedom Two is in pre production. Uh, the script is written, and so they're already excited to see. So it's important this thing does well because it'll produce more. And it'll also support a lot of different organizations that I'm helping right now. Um, I want to get funding. I want to get resources to not just Operation Underground Railroad, but several, many, many others who are doing amazing work. That's my goal is to to get it out.
0: Guys, it is in the show notes. You can check the links there. Go and check it out. It's well worth your time. I will tell you it's a rough film. Like I, I told some guys, I was like, look, if you take your wives, don't make sure they don't walk in expecting, you know, finding Nemo part three, like make sure they, they understand that this is a, this is a tough film, but it's something that we need to see and that we need to watch. And, and Tim, we have a global listenership to this podcast, thankfully. And what are some of the easiest ways for parents? I just, I want to transition away from the film. Like, let's just get practical brass tacks. What are some of the easiest ways for parents And for common citizens to be more vigilant about preventing child abduction and child sex trafficking. I I tell people all the time, your, your children do not need smartphones because it's not just about what you're giving them access to. It's about who you're giving access to them because these pedophiles will go on these chat sites meant for teenagers and uh, social media, and they will pose as 16-year-old boys and they're 45-year-old men, and they're trying to do meetups. And it's like, parents, this isn't about your, your kid being the only weirdo in school without an Instagram or a TikTok account. This is about protecting them from the stuff that they'll see and protecting them from other people. But that's just what I say. Are there other things that are just easy for parents and common citizens to do?
1: Well, you you can you hit it you hit it exactly on the head, Kyle. It's it's uh, it's access points. It's all about access points, and it's always been about access points. But access points used to be when when if you're if you're a, a parent my age or older, access points meant playground, meant you know park, meant yeah. Yeah, It's no longer that. There's a million access points, and if you're my age or older, you don't even know what it's like. You don't remember that because you don't have a memory of it because you weren't there. You didn't live. You didn't grow up in a time as as a, as an adolescent or a child in the age of, of this digital age. So what's happening? The most simple thing parents can do is know what's on your kid's phone. Don't give them an iPhone, by the way, until they're you know they're responsible. And if and when you do, give it to them like you're giving them a car, teaching them everything about it because they can kill themselves or kill someone else. And so they got. But the parents don't do that. They they you know they they just can't imagine that this game is anything but the kid playing the computer. Because when I was a kid, we played Atari or Nintendo or whatever. I mean, you're playing the computer, right? No longer are they playing the computer, mom and dad. They're playing Uncle Skippy two counties away who's pretending to be, like you said, a 15-year-old or something. And it's happening constantly. Um, I, I, I helped. I executive produced a documentary Called It's Happening Right Here. And we get into all the nitty-gritty, all the details, real stories of what happens, how kids get hurt and abducted and abused uh, here in the United States. And I'm gonna have that that documentary ready to run and fully available in the wake of the Sound of Freedom. So look look for that.
0: We'll certainly be looking for that as well. So so that's the easy stuff. Are there maybe some more difficult to implement ways for parents and common citizens to be more vigilant about preventing child abduction and child sex trafficking? You hear about some people that are like, "Hey, if you're if you're on I-35 or I-44, I live in Oklahoma, so I-35, I-44, and I-40 all connect right in the middle of Oklahoma City, and they're like, those are thoroughfares for for child trafficking, other sex trafficking, things like that. Here are some hand signals that people might try to show you just to, to say that they're they're in trouble or something like that. What are some of those? more difficult things to, to look for?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's, there's a human, there's a human ability of a decent person just know something's off, right? Um, there's, there's a hundred signs in a kid that's not supposed to be, or if they're somewhere they're not supposed to be. Uh, it's about looking for, it, you know, like, you know, we, after years of, of petitioning, finally um, flight, uh, flight attendants gets, get training. But to look for and it's the same thing but bottom, you know the kid doesn't belong the kid is something it's it's more intuitive honestly even spiritual or intuitive than than anything else and but the problem is if you're not looking but after flight attendants got the training they'd find cases all the time they'd see this kid doesn't want to be there i don't know if the kids looking away the kid doesn't look like the person doesn't look like a family member and they've, been, they've saved they've rescued kids you know, wait, wait for the kid to go to the bathroom, put a post-it on the on the window, on the mirror. Hey, come talk to me around the corner. And the, and the girls, this is a true story. And the girl said, this guy kidnapped me. I don't even know who he is. And they, you know, they have the cops waiting when they landed. But this, this we could be doing more rescues if people are paying attention and and, and don't just walk away like ah, something tells me ah, I'm not going to No, Pick up the phone and call. It might it might seem like a little piece, but it might be the last piece of a thousand piece puzzle that was required to take on a whole ring. So people talk, if you see something that makes you feel uncomfortable, even if you can't fully articulate it, just pick up the phone, call the police, you know, tell security.
0: Yeah. Part of it is getting out of your phone. I mean, I've seen videos literally of people that get mugged. They don't even know they're being mugged because they're looking at their phone. And so it's having spatial awareness, having situational awareness, seeing what's going on around you. Now, one thing that I want to talk about as well, anytime you talk about child sex trafficking or things like this, Automatically people will speed up and go 100 exits later to talk about QAnon and all this. There's a cabal of nefarious but extremely powerful wealthy group of people that engage in pedophilia and drink children's blood and all this kind of stuff. But, but the thing about it is is every time something like this happens, Tim, people just start being quiet. Epstein Island happens. You know, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell is in prison, but we don't know any of the names of the people that are in uh, in the Black Book. And Epstein apparently killed himself in prison where that wasn't really supposed to be able to be possible. These things happen always around the trafficking of children for sex. And so it's easy to just dismiss it and say, oh, that's just QAnon stuff. But then, like, this is actually happening. Yeah. But is there is there a nefarious force of, of people that wear masks in the woods and rape kids that, that are that are controlling the levers of government? And like it's such a silly question to even ask, but like there's so much evidence that would point to the fact that, yeah, there are secret societies that are doing stuff like this.
1: I mean it's it's complex, right? and I'll, I'll try to right. tackle it. Yes, I mean, when we find out that Epstein had had been had been colluding entertaining hanging out with top ent- intelligence officials, do I believe it was a it was a blackmail kind of situation? Absolutely. I I I don't know that. But you know, um, do I think that, that there is something going on? People were pulling the strings there? Yes, I do. Do I think he killed himself? No, I don't. Again, this is not me being conspiratorial. This is this is I don't I can't say I know these things, but I know enough about these things that it just it doesn't add up. Um, and 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 most prominently or most importantly, I think, or relevantly, as you said. Um, you don't. You can't. You can't sell someone without a buyer. What, what are you talking about? Like in the Maxwell case, where are the buyers? You, she couldn't have been found guilty unless buyers were identified. You. You couldn't make a legal argument. And where? Where's that list? And why? Who's hiding it? Um, now, I'll say this. I'll, I'll also add the, the other side of that coin is, I think the QAnon movement has done a lot of damage. Because and I think some of the bad guys, I wouldn't be surprised if pedophiles and traffickers and people or people supporting that for whatever reason were the were some of the main pushers of QAnon. Why? Because it's discredited us. It, 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 people have used those arguments to discredit me, and they try to say, you know, it's not real, it's not really happening. Here's a, here's an example, right? Okay, there's these dumbs like uh, underground tunnels and 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 kids' blood being, you know, whatever. They drink their blood or whatever it is, right? Well, okay, it's so fantastical and sensational, and we've never identified any dumbs under any cities, um, and so it's discredited. However, at the same time, I'm working cases in the Middle East and Africa where little children are being kidnapped and having their, their blood taken out by, by witch doctors for, for, for satanic ritualistic stuff. Uh, we, took, we took down just this last year in Western Africa. In fact, I've, I've posted about this some really disturbing footage. Of what we call baby factories, where they kidnap girls between 13 and 17, usually mentally handicapped girls, rape them incessantly. And so they're producing all these babies. They take the babies, they sell the babies' hearts for a quarter million dollars in the black market, or they sell to a pedophile group, or they sell them, and this is infants, these are like, you know, one week old babies, or they'll sell them to witch doctors who then. Again they'll suck their they'll, they'll suck their blood and sell their blood to people who want to drink it and or they'll cut the genitalia off the babies or the children and hang it over you know in their business because the gods will bless them. This is very real and it's happening all the time. So my ability to attack that is hugely hurt by these crazy stories that aren't happening with Hillary Clinton and Tom Hanks and all these people being named and in, and in, in, you know in these underground like cities. Like so we need to get to the truth because the truth is bad enough. The truth is the truth is still the worst thing in the world. Don't, don't exaggerate it uh, and, and allow us to be discredited and thus hurting our work.
0: I would agree with that, and it's the capital T truth because, yes, it's sensational whenever you see a TikTok video where this guy lays out a form and an argument as to how Tom Hanks is a pedophile and how he's constantly using hand signals, and could he be? Yes. Do you have direct evidence of it? No. But it's that type of thing to where it's like the, the focus should be on getting the people that are actually doing this right now, not the biggest name person who will make the, the most headlines because guess what? For the child, it doesn't matter if they're being raped by somebody with, you know, an Oscar award or just somebody that lives on their block. It's the worst. It's the same for them. It's terrible for them, which kind of leads me to this. This is this kind of rough for a lot of people. A lot of people get really, really uncomfortable when I talk about this. But the automatic death penalty for child rapists in this country, I just saw yesterday a thing came up on my news feed. There was a young boy that raped a four year old or there was a man that raped a four year old, and a nine year old. He got 180 days in jail. 180. Okay. And so for me, I know we've seen the state of Florida, the the great governor DeSantis, they've signed off on legislation that would allow for the death penalty for people that have, uh, for pedophiles that have raped children. For me, I don't understand why more people aren't for that i'm for death penalty for rape of any kind because you're holding down an image bearer of christ and you're forcibly penetrating them against their will other than killing them there's nothing worse that you can do to a person but for somebody to rape a child and get you know basically a holiday in a in a, a state prison or a federal prison it just seems crazy to me like should should we be advocating for that do you support measures like that
1: i absolutely do I take acceptance with one little thing you said. You said there's only yeah. one thing worse, killing them. I don't agree. I, I think it's actually, you okay. might agree with me, but.
0: Yeah, you have to live with it if, if you don't get killed.
1: I think Yes, I think that there's nothing worse. I think death is way better uh, mm. than, because I, well, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very Christian. I, I, I The afterlife is the real life anyway. And so when you have that perspective, but I believe, I've seen little children be raped and I saw what happened to them. And, and, um, Killing one man, killing another man, is is not as bad, in my opinion, as raping a four year old, a child, and absolutely, I I applaud a hundred percent what 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 Governor DeSantis is doing. If you believe in capital punishment at all, you you have to believe it. It applies to people who would who would rape a baby,
0: and so I, I guess even whenever I was thinking about that question, Tim, it's like well, why aren't there vigilantes just going around killing pedophiles or, or are there is that just not covered in the news because i feel like you you see these hollywoodized versions of a, a you know a guy that's an adult and he finds the man that used to you know uh, sexually assault him whenever he was a child and then he he beats him up and that type of a thing but of all the crimes that happened that would be the one that i would be cheering on the most but like i guess i wonder why people aren't more fired up about this
1: it's because you know it's because they don't they don't know it it's, it exists and that's a main that's a huge problem I mean coming home from rescue operations man my, my, for the last eighteen years and, and you're you're in it you're seeing it you're with these victims these children and then you come home and look at the headlines and you are you kidding me this is the headline it's it's all it's it's first, first of all it's just entertainment it's not even real the headlines never match the stories it's just you know tribal attacks and blue versus red and whatever. And it's like, can we just make the headline every day, at least one headline? Children are being raped in mass. Ch- millions of children are. St- let's make that the headline until we start solving it, and then we can resume with our with our blue and white, our, sorry, blue and red kind of tribal wars. It's very frustrating. Why won't people talk about it? One, because it's we discussed earlier. It's too. It's hard. I, I've been turned down by many media because like our audience doesn't want to hear this. I'm like, okay, well, tell tell us a little kid getting getting raped every day yep. you know down in wherever um and then two there's a contingent i mean this if there's two million children in a commercial sex trade that means there's a that means there's how many millions of people men who want to abuse those children those people are in high places they're in low places they're in every place so there is definitely a movement to not let it get out i mean there's a reason that our movie gets gets shelved right there's people don't want it out there's there's a power there's there are powerful people, I believe, that don't want these things talked about. They want to discredit these things. Um, but until we get loud, we're never going to solve it. Until people see it and millions see it, instead of and say enough is enough, and I really think that the, the best opportunity ever that I know of for that to happen is this film, Sound of Freedom. I think these guys are geniuses. These filmmakers are amazing. And I think more people will learn about human trafficking and modern day slavery because of this film than, than anything else
0: i would have to echo that for sure well tim uh, i've got one more question for you today before we get you out of here i know you got a lot more of these to do how can sheepdogs get involved with fighting against this because you know my guys in my audience i, I can feel them <laughs> right now they're chomping at the bit when they see this film whenever they hear some of the real details they're going to be fired up and ready to go how can we channel that outside of just, yeah, hey, buy your buddy a ticket to the film as well? How can we channel these sheepdogs in a direction to actually fight against this?
1: Well, I personally, there's two organizations I founded, Operation Underground Railroad. Um, that's an organization that, uh, you know, we, you can support It's various ways. We're in 30, we've worked in 30 countries, every state, and we're doing everything we can. I also run, I'm the CEO of something called the Nazarene Fund. Um, which helps persecuted Christians all throughout uh, throughout the world, um, and we also do a lot of anti-trafficking work. That was funded by founded by Glenn Beck, and I'm, I'm I I I serve as the CEO there. So go to the Nazarenefund.org. Those are two organizations, but there's many. The best thing people can do if they really want to get in is find an organization, and there's there's many many of these. Find one that fits you, then and, and sign up as a volunteer. Um, see if you can become an operator. You know. Bring your skills, bring your your talents, and let's see how we can use you.
0: I think that'd be great, guys. I will make sure there's a link to that in the show notes as well. But we've covered a lot of ground today. I know this is a heavy subject for a lot of people, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest?
1: I just thank you, Kyle. I thank you, and the, the, you're you're one of the few, frankly, relatively speaking, in the media that will talk about this and 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 get into the weeds of it, like you know, and ask the hard questions. If we don't ask the hard questions, we don't get the answers, which will be the solution. And so thank you for doing that. I hope others will follow your example.
0: Absolutely. Tim Ballard, thank you for coming on a Daunted Life of Man's podcast. Thank you. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Tim Ballard. But before I let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got three links for you today. We talked about them in the show. I've got a link to Operation Underground Railroad. I've got a link to where you can go and check out The Sound of Freedom. You can buy tickets there. You can look at the trailer. You can share it around with friends. You can do that from there. And then also a link to the Nazarene Fund. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just you shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.